Trumas Perik Aleph Mishnah Hey One Five. This Mishnah has one basic principle to convey, which is that when you take Truma from one batch on behalf of another batch of produce, they both have to be on equal footing in terms of their Truma obligations for that to work. So what does that mean? That means, let's say, for example, you have two buckets, bucket A and bucket B, and bucket A has grain and bucket B has grain. So let's say for argument's sake that there's 50 cups of grain in bucket A and 50 cups of grain in bucket B. So the proper thing to do is to take one fiftieth of your produce as truma gadola. So that would mean, since you have a total of 100 cups of grain between the two buckets, you could either take one cup from A and one cup from B and make that truma, or you could simply take two cups from B and say, these two cups are truma for the combined batches of A and B together. I have 100 cups altogether and two out of the 100, 2%, I'm taking all from bucket B, which would be for both, and that would make both both containers, both A and B, now tithe properly. So that would work, provided that A and B, the two containers, have equal truma liability. If they're not on equal footing for whatever reason, then it won't work. That's the point of our Mishnah. So our Mishnah will go through a, a, a series of possibilities of what might be in bucket B, um, and we'll say for all those things, if your bucket A is just regular produce, let's say 50 cups of flour, and bucket B has 50 cups of flour, which are of a particular type, and the mission will list all sorts of types, so then it will no longer be effective to take from B on behalf of A. That's the whole thrust of the Mishnah. So the Mishnah starts out by saying, You can't take from bucket B um, on behalf of A and B together, if what's in bucket B is leket, or shecha, or peah. What are those things? You might recall from Masechah's peah. Uh, leket are the stalks, one or two stalks that fall as one is um, cutting the grain in the field. If one or two stalks fall, um, then there to be left for the poor to collect. Shecha is the forgotten sheave, so when one um, conveys uh, small piles of sheaves that have been sitting in the sun to dry out to the threshing floor to be processed. If one overlooks one or two sheaves, bundles of grain in the field, so then he can't go back to collect those sheaves. He has to leave them again for the poor. That's shecha. And finally, peya. Peya is the requirement to leave a section of your field unharvested. Uh, you leave it as standing grain and leave it for the poor people to come and collect that grain. So, leket, shech, and peya are all gifts to the poor, matanus lenium, and they're all exempt from tithing requirements. That is to say, when a poor person goes and collects his leket, shech, or peya, he doesn't need to tithe it. No truma must be taken from that grain he collected. So that being the case, since the if what's in container B is leket, shech, or peya, like then container B is exempt from tithing requirements, and that being the case, you can't take grain from container B and say this will be the truma on behalf of container A, because what's in container B, the leket shecharpeya, is not required in truma, while the container A is indeed required in truma, so it won't work. Similarly, the Mishnah says, umina hefker, if what's in container B is hefker produce, hefker means odorless produce, so then ownerless produce being exempt from tithing obligations will also uh, not be a legitimate source for taking truma on behalf of container A. So the hefker that the mission is talking about, the primary category of hefker, would be 
food that grew, you know, that grew wild. And that being the case, it was ownerless. And so since this grain is just, you know, growing in the field and no one owns it, so it's exempt from tithing obligations. And if one went and collected that hefker ownerless grain from the fields, you know, the wild grain growing, it's exempt from truma requirements. And therefore, if one would take truma from that container B, let's say, on behalf of A, it wouldn't work. Um, a second possibility of hefker, however, is where a person owned grain, let's say, and then he decided that he just relinquishes ownership. He says, I have more than I need. I'm putting it out in my front stoop, and whoever wants to take it, help themselves. I'm declaring it ownerless. So now that also is hefker, and that also would work, um, but only under, only under limited circumstances. The circumstances are that the time at the time when the person who owned this grain declares it ownerless, the grain had not yet been uh, required to be tithed, it, meaning that the hef, hefker, the declaration of ownership, uh, of relinquishing of ownership, uh, occurs prior to the obligation to tithe this grain. So the normal time that one, that grain is obligated in tithing, we're talking about grain here, is um, called meruach hakri, the smoothing of the piles, the stacking of the grain at the very end of the processing. But in general, for all produce, the time at which the obligation to tithe kicks in is at what's called gemar malacha, when one has finished processing that particular foodstuff. So while meruach, smoothing of the pile and stacking it away, um, is the last step in the processing of grain, uh, if you're producing uh, oil or wine, for example, so one doesn't stack oil, it's when the finishing of the pressing of the oil and storing to the jars occurs. And same with wine, again, it's when you finish pressing the uh, the grapes and collect it into jars or into the whatever the storage facility, that is when the finishing of the processing of the grapes or you know the or oil occurs. So whatever is appropriate, um, once that last step has occurred, Gemar Malacha, so now there's an obligation to tithe this produce. And if one says after the fact, you know what, I have more wine than I need, and you leave out some bottles of wine for someone to help themselves to, if that wine hasn't been tithed, then that wine is still must be tithed. And that being the case, even though it was declared ownerless, um, if one had a container B, which is filled with wine that had passed, already had Gemar Malacha occurred to it, it had been processed, so then indeed you could tithe from B onto A. So again, what we're talking about over here when it says hefker means that in container B is either produce that grew in the utter wild that never was owned by anybody, and therefore is never ob- obligated in tithing, um, or B, it was owned by a person, but that person then relinquished ownership prior to the time at which um, tithing obligations kick in. Uh, the reason why, for what it's worth, uh, hefker produce, ownerless produce, um, is exempt from tithing requirements is because um, the Pasuk, the verse stipulates that um, a rationale why there's a tithe in the first place, and that is that the tribe of Levi, which also includes the Kohanim, who are getting the Truma, but this applies for Meister as well, um, which is for the Levium, so they never got a portion of land uh, in Eretz Israel, so they're dependent upon the land-owning rest of the population to provide for them um, produce. Um, it's actually the and therefore, there's a drasha. The pasuk says, "Uvaha Levi, and the Levi will come. Ki ein lo chelak v'nachla imach, and he, the Levi, doesn't have a portion and inheritance of the land with you." Um, and this is refer- reference to the Levi getting a portion, a gift. But uh, since the Levi and you have equal portions in hefker, it's equally ownerless, and therefore. Um, 
yado v'yadcha shavin, your hand and his hand are equal in terms of their access to hefker produce. That's why there's no requirement to give from the hefker produce tithes to the lady. Okay, the Mishnah continues and says, v'loma rishon maso. Also, if what's in container B is maiser rishon, that was the gift that is given to the lady normally after truma gadola is taken, that had its truma taken from it. Now, obviously, if we're talking about generic food that had its truma taken, now it's given as miser, so it goes without saying that there's no obligation to tie this further, and therefore it's exempt produce, and that being the case, of course, if you have a container B post-truma taken food, and in container A, not yet truma taken food, so of course you can't tie from B and A because B is exempt from further tithing, whereas A still has to be tithed. So that's not our case at all. What our case is, is that the levy went to the landowner and he sort of jumped in front of the line. The normal order of operations is first you separate Truma Gadola for the Kohen, and then what's left, you give 10% of that to the levy's Maiserishon. But this levy came, and prior to the finishing of the processing of the grain, let's say, so therefore the obligation to take the truma hasn't kicked in yet, the lady says, do me a favor and give me my 10% now. So he takes that produce prior to it ever reaching the point of being obligated in truma gadola, because he took it, let's say, as stalks, um, or whatever the story is, prior to them having been uh, the processing of the grain occurring. In such a case, that miser that the lady gets will be a slightly bigger portion for him, because um, he's not giving anything to the Kohen um, as truma gadola. And it will never be obligated in Truma Gadola. And therefore, since it's, you know, it, it's essentially going to be sides of the Truma Gadola issue. Now, that Meiser Rishon still will have another obligation. That obligation is to take the Truma's Meiser. You'll recall that the same way the Yisrael gives a portion of his produce to the Kohen as Truma Gadola, so to the Levi gives a portion of his produce that he received as Meiser Rishon as Truma as well. The lady's portion is called Truma's Miser. So what the Mishnah is saying is, if there's a lady and he jumped in front of the line, so to speak, and before the produce ever was obligated to have Truma Gadola taken from it, the lady requests his 10% and receives it as Miser Rishon. So then there'll never be Truma Gadola taken from this. There's just the obligation to take Truma's Miser. And once the Truma's Miser has been taken and given to a Kohen, if now the Levi has two containers, A and B, and in container B is his Meiserishon that he got by jumping in front of the line and has Trumas Meiser removed from it already, he cannot use what's in container B now to exempt, you know, take from there to exempt what's in container A obligations of, of Truma Gadola. That won't work. Um, an important diok here, uh, an inference, and it's really based on Psukim, it's not just, an, you know, is that, yeah, if the Meiser Rishon had not yet had its Truma, excuse me, its Truma's Meiser removed from it, so it's Meiser Rishon that's obligated in Truma's Meiser, so such Meiser Rishon could be used as a source for Truma Gadola in container B to exempt what's in container A. It would work, um, which really it's based on a Pasuk and a, and a fine, but it, it goes to show you that really that Truma Gadola and Truma's Meiser are really essentially on equal footing. They're basically the exact same thing. It's just that Truma Gadola comes from the Yisrael, landowner, whoever he is, and the Truma's Meiser comes from the Levi's portion. But they're both otherwise um, essentially the exact same thing. Okay.
Next, the Mishnah says, V'lo ma'aser sheni v'hektesh shaniftu. So these are two separate things. We have ma'aser sheni, the second tithe, and hektesh. Hektesh is property which has been consecrated to the base of Mikdash. If you have either of those two types of foodstuffs, even if they've been redeemed, meaning they've now, their sanctity has been removed from them onto coins because they've been reclaimed from their ma'aser sheni or hektesh status, even so, uh, they are exempt from, they're no longer, they're exempt from having truma taken from them, as I'll explain in a moment, and that being the case, if they're in container B, you can't use it as a source to get truma for truma, truma for, you can't use what's now in container B with the, one of those two things to get truma, take truma on behalf of what's in container A. So let's just go through these things here. Meiser um, Shani, so Aratana holds actually that Meiser Shani, that second tie, that is remember, after you give your truma gadoli and your, and your Meiser Rishon, then in years one, two, four, and five of the seven-year cycle, you'll take another tenth of what remains and set it aside to be taken to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim, and be eaten over there. Um, now, our Tana, the author of our Mishnah, holds that that second tie that you're taking to Yerushalayim, to Jerusalem, actually doesn't belong to you. Um, it's really what's called Mamon Govoa, uh, which means property belonged to on high, in other words, it's essentially God's food, um, and it belongs to God. But um, when you go to Yushalayim and you eat it there, essentially, conceptually, um, God is inviting you to sit at the table with Him, so to speak, and partake of His food. So you're, so to speak, God's guest eating God's food, and that is the Maeser Shani, um, which is called Mamun Gavoa. It's, it's uh, the property of heaven. That being the case... Um, since it's Mammon Govoa, it doesn't belong to an individual person, and therefore it wouldn't be obligated under the normal obligations of, of tithing, of truma, um, is ineligible there. So the that goes almost without saying, that if it's Mammon Govoa, that there's never an obligation to tithe, and that being the case, um, you don't take truma from Maeser Shani, and that being the case, if what's in your container B is Maeser Shani, you couldn't use that as a source to get truma to exempt what's in container A. Um, but Amisha is actually talking about something even more than that. It's saying even after Sheniftu, you have uh, done Pidyon, you've redeemed that Meister Sheni. What is that talking about? So when a person sets aside that tenth to take to eat in Yerushalayim, he has the option of not taking the food to Yerushalayim and, and instead um, transferring the Kedusha, the sanctity that is inherent, embedded into that Meister Sheni, onto coins onto money. And then he can take that money to Yerushalayim and use the money to purchase uh, foodstuffs in Yerushalayim and the trans, the Kedusha, the Sanctity, transfers then back from the money onto the foodstuff and you can then eat the foodstuff in Yerushalayim as Meister Shani. So if you had what's originally Meister Shani, but then you deconsecrate it um, by transferring the Kedusha, that's called Pidyon. Pidyon refers actually to something like a like an internal transformation. Um, here it's transforming, if you will, the status of this food to being from sanctified Meister Shani to being generic, deconsecrated, you know, profane, chulin food. So you might have thought perhaps that now that it's been deconsecrated and now it's just regular old food, it now might be a source, a legitimate source for taking truma gadola, since you never took truma from this food ever. Uh, but the answer is no, it's not. It's exempt from truma taking, and therefore if what's in your container B is deconsecrated food that had been Meister Shani, um, it's and not a legitimate source, since it's not obligated in Truma, to take Truma from that container, B, on behalf of what's in container A. Um, as for the Hektish and Niftu, so now we're talking about um, produce that was consecrated and given to be a, the property of the Beis HaMikdash. That's called Hektish. So 
when a person has any asset, he's allowed to essentially give it um, to become property of the Beis HaMikdash. And when he does that, he imbues that thing that he's giving um, with sanctity as Mikdash property. So there are two kinds of categories of these things. Um, some of them are things that could go directly on the Mizbech, on the altar, as an offering. Like if he is consecrates, for argument's sake, his cow. And that would give it embedded um, intrinsic kadush, which could never leave. But if a person consecrates something which has no place on the Mizbech, on the altar, like his, his, his pen, for argument's sake, um, or his apples, whatever the heck it is, so then when he, he, he consecrates that and says, um, this is going to be apples or a pen for the base of Mikdash, so it just um, gets a status of also of sanctity, it's called Bedek Habayas, uh, which means sort of assets that are there for the upkeep of the base of Mikdash, and the base of Mikdash can do what it wants with it, and what it will do with it ultimately is auction it off. It'll essentially just sell that pen or those apples uh, on their eBay site or, you know, through Christie's, I don't know how they'll do it, and um, when the person who purchases those apples or pen gives the money, so the sanctity of the apple or pen is lifted from the apples and pen, um, leaving them now totally deconsecrated and, and hulen, profane, and the sanctity goes back onto the money, which will be in the hands of the base of Mikdash. Um, so our case here, we're talking about where a person, let's say, had a, um, a wheat field, and he says, I'm going to give this wheat field as a gift to the base of Mikdash, I'm going to be makdashit, I'm going to consecrate my field to become base of Mikdash property. So while it's in the hands, the field is in the hands of the base of Mikdash, um, the base of Mikdash isn't a private person, and the psukim, the verses that require tithing and truma to be taken, don't apply to the base of Mikdash. So while it's in the hands of the Mikdash, it's exempt from tithing. However, when the base of Mikdash puts the field now up for auction with Christie's, um, or whoever, you know, so to speak, and sells that that field, the purchaser will give good money for the field, and the field will become deconsecrated, the sanctity transferring on to the coins. So, if, this is the million dollar question, the question, if you want to know, is the grain now in this field liable to tithing? The answer is, it depends. If the time when it was deconsecrated, when it was this stuff was sold back to the some person of the public, um, it was already past it had been processed, and meaning the grain had been harvested, and it had been threshed and winnowed and stacked. Meruch um, at the Gemar Malacha, the finishing of the processing had occurred. So then, it's too late. It passed through the window when the true obligation would have been there, but it wasn't there because it was property of the Mikdash. And now that means that after the fact, um, when someone goes and buys that grain and deconsecrates it and does pidyon on it, it's too late. It will never be obligated in tithing. If, on the other hand, the buyer of this wheat field buys it prior to um, the finishing of the processing of the grain, so then he himself, under his auspices, will finish the processing in Dukumar Malacha, if that's the case. So then now, when he finishes it, since he's a private person, there will be an obligation to tithe his grain, even though it had in the past once belonged to the base of English, that's not relevant. So the case of our Mishnah is Hektesh and Niftu, um, deconsecrated Hektesh, is a case where a person gave his, let's say, wheat field to the base of Mikdash, and then um, someone else redeemed that wheat after it had finished being processed, after Gmar Malacha. So now when this person repurchases the wheat, the wheat is forever exempt from tithing, and if that's what's in his container B, wheat that he purchased from the base of Mikdash, as now deconsecrated hectish, since it's never going to have to be tithed, it's exempt from tithing, if that's what's in container B, 
he can't take from that container B to exempt what's in container A. Okay, we're over the hump now. Um, the rest of the Mishnah is basically just simply, you know, continuing the same theme, saying, If what's in container B is something that's obligated in tithing, but container A contains something that is not obligated in tithing, it's pater from tithes, um, for whatever reason, even if it's like intrinsically exempt from tithing, like for example, it didn't grow fully before it was harvested, or whatever the story is, um, or same, go- same goes if what's in the Container B is the patur, and what's in container A is the chiyuv, has to be tied. Since they're on equal footing, you can't take from B on behalf of A. If you are talking about talush is detached from the ground grain, and mechubar is still attached to the ground grain. So one can't really tie this produce while it's attached to the ground, just can't work. That being the case, he can't take from attached grain and say, there will be designated the truma from the detached grain because they're not equal footing. And same goes with talush. If he has some detached grain um, in container B, he can't designate his truma for the attached to the ground still produce in his field. It just won't work. Uh, this is not referring to chadash, meaning grains that, you know, came from before prior to the offering of the Omer Korban or something like that. that. We're not talking about that. Chadash and Yashan simply here mean Chadash is this year's crop and Yashan means last year's crop. So assuming we're talking about grain and the fiscal year transitions at Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei. Um, so that being the case, we're saying grain that came from before Rosh Hashanah, if that's, that will be considered to be Yashan. If that's what's in container B and what's in container A is grain that came after Rosh Hashanah, so you can't take from B on A because they're of not of equal status in terms of tithing obligations. And same goes if what you have in container B is this year's crop, the chadash, you can't take from there on behalf of what's in container A, the yashan. Now, the reason why these two containers, which are filled with grain, um, just regular generic grain from two different years, you can't tithe one on the other or from one on behalf of one for the other, um, is because not there, because there's a separate pasuk, a verse that requires um, that each fiscal year, in this case when it comes to grains anyways, it's every calendar year, um, but the fiscal year for, um, remember Tu so the the, the, count, the fiscal year for um, tree fruits might be different, but anyways, let's stick with this. Um, um, each year must be tithed on its own, as the Pasuk says, Aser Taser, it's called Tfuas Zarecha, you will certainly tithe all the produce you have, all the seed. Hayote hasadeh shana shana that comes from the field, every out of the field shana shana year by year, which comes to tell you that each year has to be tithed on its own. Fine, and finally v'loma peras haaretz al peras chutz laaretz and v'loma peras chutz laaretz al peras haaretz. Um, if you have a container B produce that grew in Eretz and in container A produce to grow outside of Eretz Yisrael. Well, the, the Eretz Yisrael produce is obligated in tithes because it's a tithing in general is a mitzvah to leave Eretz. It's only applicable to um, produce that grew in Eretz Yisrael. So since they're on equal footing, you can take from the container B, if let's say it has Eretz Yisrael produce, on behalf of container A, which is exempt from tithing. And similarly, if you have in container B produce from outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's exempt from tithing. So then you can't take from A on behalf of, excuse me, you can't take from B, which has your, um, your, Chutzlarat's produce on behalf of A, which has your Eretz Yisrael produce, which is obligated to be tithed. Um, if that 
last clause sound too obvious because the same principle again and again. The Chiddush is that um, there's a number of um, all the neighboring countries essentially around Eretz Yisrael, um, even though on a Torah level they're exempt from tithing, the rabbis require tithing. So that is Bavel, modern-day Iraq, let's call it, Mitzrayim to the south, that's modern-day Egypt, um, Amun Moav, basically modern-day Jordan, essentially, um, Surya, modern-day Syria, let's call it. All those areas are required to be tithed amid um, the um, so that is to say, just to paint the picture, if you have in container A food from Eretz Israel and in container B you have food from Surya, you have to, you will have to tithe both containers, A and B. But you can't take from B on behalf of A or vice versa because the obligation to tithe the stuff from Surya is only rabbinic, whereas the obligation to tithe from Eretz Israel is Doraisa from the Torah, and they're not on equal footing, and that being the case, you can't take tithes on one on behalf of the other. And the Mishnah concludes by saying, "V'im tarmu." And if you did take truma on any of these cases, from B on behalf of A, ain't truma san truma. What you took simply isn't truma. That taking of truma is utterly ineffective.